Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Hello again, everybody. It is time for another Blue Gold Report. Mike Rags with you, your host, uh, alongside Todd Burlidge. The Blue Gold Report podcast is being brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. We are about a week away from the opening of the season. That's right, September 1st, Michigan in town. And now it gets real interesting. How interesting? Well, something I've been talking about for quite some time. Somehow... Brian Kelly going to have fun with these quarterbacks. I knew, it was gonna, <laughs> I knew you'd like that. I knew it was going to happen. We'll talk a little bit about that. The, the big story coming out of camp this last week is uh, BK now tinkering with maybe going two QBs at a time. But really, this is when practices get uh, down and dirty here. They get real tough before they start game planning for Michigan next week. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about Tony Jones Jr., somebody emerging uh, again from that uh, unknown running back position. What's going to happen this year? And and uh, Todd continues his countdown of toughest opponents for Notre Dame this season. We get to number two. I think where we're. I know where we're going. He revealed number two to me. I think I know where we're going with number one. It's by deduction. <laughs> I could figure it out. The only one he hasn't talked about. But we'll get to that in just a little bit. And there's a new facility out there. That indoor facility. Uh, Todd wanted to mention. But uh, let's bring him in. It is our good buddy Todd Burlidge. Uh, Todd, how you doing? You getting pumped? Yeah, I really am. Actually, this is going to be a fun season. And here we are. It's sort of like a bye week zone now, you yeah. know, two weeks. It's all about Michigan now, and uh, it's getting good. It's getting good. You're starting to feel that buzz around campus. It sure is, and uh, it's going to be a busy early season around campus, too, so we should get a lot of good weather for the early portion of their season. Remember, it's kind of front-ended front ended this year, yeah. uh, and which is real nice. Uh, Todd, uh, we'll, we'll get to the nitty-gritty on practice and what's going on and and, uh, and this quarterback situation, uh, but let's do a blue goal report. you got something you want to talk about, and it's usually a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, Seven blue gold nuggets what? this week. How about that? I think it's a program record. Yeah, a lot of uh, sort of little news coming out, shall we say. Let's start with the radio replacements uh, for Don Cricky and Alan Pinkett. Um, JMI Sports teamed up with Notre Dame, and they got rid of uh, Pinkett and Cricky, as I mentioned. Well, they filled in the replacements this week. A uh, gentleman by the name of Paul Burmeister. Uh, folks around Notre Dame are somewhat familiar with him. He's been doing the Blue Gold game for the last couple years. Um, he also filled in, if you remember, Mike Tirico was doing, I, was it the President's Cup in golf? He was overseas and missed a Notre Dame game. Uh, so Burmeister filled in for him on the NBC Sports Network. He was be kind of your lead guy. On color, a former Notre Dame player and a 10-year NFL veteran by the name of Ryan Harris. Uh, he will fill in for Alan Pinkett now. Uh, he played under Charlie Weiss, had a nice career. I believe he was a four-year starter, at least a three-year starter, but I'm thinking he was a four-year starter. Uh, really nice career, and again, uh, 10 years in the NFL after that. Uh, this partnership will go for 12 years, so hopefully these guys can last that long. Uh, a very familiar face here on the sidelines, that would be Jack Nolan. He's actually a good friend of the program. He's been yes. on a couple times. It's good to hear that. Yeah, for sure. He's been around the Notre Dame Athletics since 1982. He serves as the play-by-play radio announcer right now for men's basketball. He co-hosts the radio and television shows uh, in coordination with Notre Dame uh, Media uh, for both Mike Bray and Brian Kelly. So a well-known voice there and face there. So that will be your new team on the radio for Notre Dame. Moving on, the AP poll is out, and Notre Dame came in at number 12. It's interesting. The AP poll is somewhat interesting because it, it's sort of been a little bit of a jinx for Notre Dame. Again, they came in at 12th. The last 12 years, and this goes back to the end of the Lou, uh, Lou Holtz era, 
The last 12 times that Notre Dame has been ranked in the top 25, they've failed to finish the season ranked higher in the postseason poll than they were in the preseason poll. Gotcha. As a matter of fact, eight of those 12 times they finished outside of the top 25. So sometimes it looks like they're better off not being ranked. As was the case last year, they came into the preseason unranked and then finished 11 following the 10-3 and season. It seems to work both ways. When they're unranked, they sneak up on people and have a pretty good year. Uh, that, was not, that has not been the case when they've been ranked. So again, 8 out of 12 times, they weren't even in the top 25. Uh, so that's pretty interesting right there. Uh, among ranked opponents for Notre Dame, there are five of them. Michigan is 14th, USC 15th, Florida State 19th, and Virginia Tech 20th. And then I'm, I skipped over Stanford there, which is number 13. When you're talking AP and All-America and all that other stuff, in addition to the poll being out for the Associated Press, so is their preseason All-America team. And three Notre, Notre Dame has three representatives. Um, Second Julian, team, right? Yep, yep. Julian Love, obviously defensive back. I thought he might be a first-teamer. Uh, he was uh, one of three Irish players named to the AP second team. A couple offensive linemen here, even with losing McGlinchey and Nelson. A couple guys are second-teamers as well. Uh, grads, a couple grad senior captains, actually. Sam Mustafer, the center, and Alex Bars, the left guard. Um, those guys join Love on the second team. Uh, Mustafer will be a three-year starter. Bars is also a three-year starter. These guys will really help stability along that line for sure. Bars has moved around quite a bit during his career, uh, where Mustafer has always been the center. Um, so we'll have to wait and see if that holds up. Perhaps they can improve on that. As far as a little men's basketball news, some good news here. As expected, freshman forward Chris Doherty, he is back with the team. He, he arrived back on campus in time for fall classes here. If you remember... He's the he's a he's a nice player. He's part of this high highly rated freshman class. He's a six eight two hundred twenty five power forward. Um, got a little homesick, a little overwhelmed here when he came in for summer school. He ended up leaving and gone back to Massachusetts. I thought the coaches did a nice job. The Irish coaches did a nice job of not really smothering him, giving him a space, saying, "Look, take care of what you have to do. Get your thoughts together. Get your head together. We'll see you in August, and we'll go from there." And that's exactly what happened. He did miss the Bahamas trip, so he might be behind a little bit when the time comes to start trying to find his way into the rotation. But it's good news that he's back because I think he's going to be a good player. When you talk about power forwards like this that are kind of that stretch four rags, you know, the 6'8", 225 guys, these are the guys that really thrive in Mike Brace's program. So I thought that was good news that he has returned. Staying on the basketball front, but moving over to the women's side, Brianna Turner, she spoke this week uh, to Anthony Anderson of the South Bend Tribune. She's back 100%, completely healed, completely done with rehab. So she's ready to rock and roll. That is bad news for the rest of college basketball out there because she's their best player, and they did it all without her, won a national championship without her last season. As she thought she was going to come back uh, from a from knee injury, didn't end up happening, so they ended up sitting her down. She didn't recover as fast, but she is back and ready to go. And again, uh, she is a force to be reckoned with and certainly going to lead this team again. Man, this team is loaded. They have so many great players, a lot of a bunch of incoming freshmen, five-star players. A little bit more women's hoops news. Um, this 18-19 team, they're scheduled to play in uh, over Thanksgiving weekend in what's called the Vancouver Showcase. Okay, It's actually a pretty good field here. Notre Dame will open with Gonzaga. Some of the other teams on Thanksgiving Day, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's an eight-team field. Drake and Rutgers, South Carolina, East Tennessee State, Oregon State, and Western Kentucky. Keep it in mind. Let's see. What is it? Um, I have my notes here, but they're kind of out of order. Three of those teams reached the Elite Eight. That's South Carolina, Oregon State, and Notre Dame. 
Uh, pretty good stuff there. And in addition to that, Gonzaga, Western Kentucky, and Drake all won their conference tournaments. So it's a pretty powerful field, and it's a nice way to start up there in Canada. And now you can add these quality games to the list that already includes a game against Iowa in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, Connecticut in the Jimmy V Classic. They'll play Tennessee. Uh, they'll play Marquette right before Christmas and a homecoming for Enrique Ogumbalale. So there you have that. And finally, last of the Blue Gold Nuggets, a little bit of injury news and a very little bit of injury news on the football front, which is great news for Brian Kelly. Starting right tackle Robert Hainsey was back at practice this week. Starting on Wednesday, a leg injury had kind of knocked him out for about a week and a half. Um, they want to get his legs back under him. They say he's all expected and ready to go and start against Michigan. Brian Kelly went on to say he was trying to kind of go down his Rolodex in his head. He said, we have no other injuries whatsoever. Every player that is expected to play and expected to travel with the team against Michigan will be there. It's all hands on deck, and those are your blue gold nuggets. All right, before we start talking about practice, let me give you an extra nugget. Uh, as we record this on Fridays, the uh, all-important third preseason game a week in the NFL that week has started up, and a very crowded backfield in Philadelphia. Uh, but Josh Adams did get a lot of playing time, four carries for 33 yards yesterday. He's been battling some injuries over the preseason, but... Uh, it's a busy backfield there. Uh, he did catch two balls for minus one. By the way, it was a barn burner last night. If you hadn't seen it, uh, five to nothing. I hadn't seen it. Five to the Browns <laughs> oh, beat wow. the Eagles five nothing. I think uh, Jim Tomey hit a two run home run in that <laughs> nice. game. So if you're keeping an eye on Josh Adams, this is the all important last week where you're going to find out if he makes any kind of headway. Of course, they have Smallwood there and a couple other players. Uh, he's low on the depth chart, but he has been getting a lot of carries. Smallwood got the br- the brunt of the carries yesterday, but Josh Adams had an eight yard average of his four carries. So we'll see what happens. Keep your fingers crossed there, and we'll definitely keep you posted right here because uh, I want to keep my uh, my hat that I bought last year and at least yeah. make some sense of it. <laughs> Thirty three has to mean something. I don't know what it's going to mean, uh, but uh, we'll see what happens. Love it. All right, Todd. Let's uh, talk about this uh, practice now, because this, like, like we said at the top of the show, it's starting to get into the nitty gritty. You learn the positions. Uh, players are, are, you know, they call the dog days of August. So that's not made up. There's a reason they're calling it that. And uh, these guys are ready to rock and roll and start game planning for uh, Michigan next week. So, what? Before we get into the quarterback, that 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 just that situation that just gets me in a rage. Um, uh, what are we looking at here this last week of practice? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it kind of feeds in a little bit. I thought it was important just to kind of lay the you know the the outline of what's going on here. Um, indeed, it's the dog days, and I, I think even us media members get we're ready for a game to write about. Yeah. You know, you, you've picked about every story you can talk and write about at this point. Nothing really changes. The two deep is now set for the coaches. It's more fine tuning than anything. You know, camp officially ends if you want to quote unquote camp ends two weeks before the season opener, and then they spend two weeks preparing for said opener, in this case Michigan, obviously. And uh, guys are sick of hitting each other. They're sick of answering the same questions in the media. They want to move on. But the coaches at Notre Dame, and I think a lot of programs, always treat the one, not the not the week leading actually up to the game. Right. That's They kind of back off a little bit because there's been a lot of contact and a lot of hard practices. But this particular week that we're just finishing up here, they really go after it, and they really challenge the guys to get to get after it physically. 
again, the guys are just like, enough is enough. Let's move on. So actually, Brian, and the last, and you don't want to get hurt. I mean, this, this exactly. is, you don't want to get hurt. Yeah. So it's more about walkthroughs and things like that moving forward. But uh, especially during this stretch, late this week, Brian Kelly breaks down just to kind of what it looks like and what the mood of the team is and how he thinks things are progressing during these last practices. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, these are the three toughest days of, of practice. Um, our guys don't want to hit each other anymore. They, 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 want, to, they want to move on and, and get to game week and game week preparation. These are always kind of the three practices that you're like uh, trying to get through in a sense. Now, we, we were efficient. Uh, our effort was really good. Um, we benefited from today's practice, but you can tell there's an edge about our team and they want to get on to Michigan. Got to win this game. So, you know, the double reverse pass is going to be in, you know. I mean, you're, you're throwing everything in there, right? You know, so maybe maybe you have a tendency maybe not to show some of that stuff in, in an opener where you feel like there's a, there's there's clearly a um, an opponent where you can handle it if you execute and do your job. Maybe a little bit of that. Other than that, I mean, our kids have been, you know, excited about this matchup since January, so they know who they're playing. Part of Brian Kelly's breakdown there when he was referring to the double reverses and this and that was part of the question he was asked there was, you're playing a, a premier opponent this time in your opening game. It's not in Nevada. It's not a Rice. Right. How, how does things change? How does that dynamic change from a coaching standpoint? And he did kind of go on to say, you know what? Against Michigan, we're not going to hide anything. If you're playing a Rice, if you're playing a Nevada team, that you really, if you just execute and play well and do your thing, you're going to beat by three touchdowns. You do shrink your playbook. Sure. You absolutely shrink your playbook because you don't want to show everything you had. He said, forget about that against Michigan. We're, we're going to have to win this game. We're going to have to throw everything we, we got at him. And I thought that was important to mention just to kind of, that's where he was going with that. And you know, Harbaugh is going to do the same thing too. And you add on top of it, it's a rivalry game. Right. You know, it's not just the two uh, programs that have high aspirations this year. It's funny, Rags, because sometimes it seems like the season opener has a bit of a bowl game feel sure to does. it. You, you know, and that you, you can try some trickery and things like that because they, nobody's seen it on film or anything like that. So, the thing I love about a season opener is there's always that great unknown. Well, one thing is, too, and I'm surprised you didn't bring it up in your nuggets, and we were talking about the special teams last week. One of those things they might pull out is a 62-yard field goal, because I understand that uh, our kicker here hit a 62-yarder during practice. This kid is, uh, Justin Yoon's a little bit out of control right now. Yeah, for sure, and that's been a pleasant surprise. I don't think Brian Kelly was comfortable with anything over 45, maybe push it to 50 last season. But this year, he said he's consistently getting 55 and beyond from Justin Yoon, and that could be very good news, obviously. That's a, that's a, a secret weapon, for yes. sure. All right, another weapon that's not so secret now anymore <laughs> is the, the QB. Now, I the, from the articles I read this week, and from what I understand, if you remember... Um, back in the Golston days, uh, Tommy Reese kind of came off the bench or out of the bullpen. They actually use the word closer a lot, and they're thinking maybe since Ian Book has some better accuracy, accuracy skills, Todd, in crunch time, that might actually play a little bit better. Is that the idea here that he's going to come in and just maybe put the team over the hump without making a mistake? I love your comparison there because that's what I thought of too, and it really wasn't brought up, the Reese Golson. And if you remember during that 2012 season, Reese more than a handful of times wow, the came Purdue in. game. I mean, yeah. think of that one, you know? Yeah, came in and bailed out Golson or protected a lead like you're talking about, closed it out, those types of things. And when you look at Reese and Golson, it's a, it's a similar dynamic that what you have uh, when you're talking about these two quarterbacks, Wimbush and Book, this year. 
they complement each other well. Yeah. You know, one does this, another does this. And so it's it's, it's a skill set. When you combine them, I mean, it, it broadens your skill set, if you're talking about it as one position. Meanwhile, when you're looking at that disaster that was the Malik Zaire to Sean Kaiser, yep. 1A, 1B situation here, what was that, 2016? It was more 1D, 1F. Uh, yeah, it didn't work out at all. And I think part of the reason was, and we talked about it, I remember, because you know, we were confused, well, they're such similar quarterbacks, how do you find a way to play them both? And it didn't work out. So I'm kind of okay with it. It depends how they use it. This isn't going to be, okay, you're in for one series, you're in for the next. It's not going to be anything like that. It's going to be kind of like... Feel the game out. Yeah. Whatever the game situation calls for, maybe you do need a, a guy that can pass the ball a little bit better. Maybe you stick with a guy that's running the ball better. So, actually, I, this is a per- fairly extensive clip because I thought it was the biggest story of the week where Brian Kelly th- talks about his thought process. That being said, Rags, it is a total departure from what he's been saying all uh, the way back to. Uh, we didn't even get to that part. Yeah. That how this was, we were talking all the last weeks, so how this finally seems like a, a camp yeah. where we know what's going to happen. But I always threw that little yes, uh, wrinkle did. in there saying, don't be surprised if this, don't be surprised if that. So, uh, want to just play Brian Kelly yeah. here, see what he has to yeah. say? I think what we know more than anything else is what Brandon's strengths are. We know exactly what he can do, and we'll set our game plan that really goes to his strengths. And we'll do the same thing with Ian. I don't think Ian Book is ever going to be the runner that Brandon Wimbush is. I don't know that Brandon Wimbush is ever going to spin the ball the way that Ian Book does. They're both different quarterbacks, and they both can help us win. And if we feel like we need them both to play at certain times, we'll do it. And if we don't, we won't. You know, we've had ones that are, were dicier, like it's 1A, 1B, you know, the, the Kaiser-Malik um, Zaire situation where you had real two starters and they were really kind of the same and, and you know, flip a coin. Uh, and then it just didn't go well, obviously. Um, this, this is a different situation. They complement each other very, very well. Brandon is not concerned if, if we felt like Ian needed to play. Let's say we ran... Brandon six times and needed a blow. I mean, he's not going to be, oh, you took me out of the game. He knows the skill set that Ian has and that he can go in there and help us win too. So I think it's less about worrying about it and knowing that if, if we need to put him in, he, he knows that he's a guy that can come in and help us win. He's about winning instead of you're taking reps from me. The game is such a fluid situation. I didn't go into the LSU game saying that I was going to play two, but it's, it's, I'm not afraid. To, I want to win the game, and I know I've got two winners. And Brandon knows that, that and, and Ian knows that both of us can, can help this football team win. They're much more about the, the team winning and whatever we have to do to win. This is not going to be shared reps, and he takes a series, and he takes a series. This is if, if somebody needs to go in and, and uh, help the team because it's a fluid situation, I'm just saying there's not going to be egos involved in it. Brandon's the starter. There's no question about that. But he understands that if, if we need to win the game and, and we need some help, the guy that's the, the number two, he can help us win too. All right. Here. I get the concept. You want to win games. That's important, obviously, at this level. Obviously, for him this year, for uh, BK. Here's why it bothers me. 
And what's been my main criticism for Brian Kelly over his tenure here is the development of a quarterback. I don't care, you know, if it's a starter, a backup, third string, but you are stunting the growth of your quarterback as a starter by doing this, by just planning in his head that you can't close out games, so we're going to go in a different direction. I want Wimbush to learn how to close out games so a starter can stay in the game. So we're not going to be next year figuring out who the heck the starting quarterback is because a certain player played well late in games. That kind of stuff bothers me, Todd. I'd rather see him develop Wimbush into a closer than have to bring a closer in off the bench. It's such a tough tough call, and it's tough for a coach to figure out how to use this platoon system. There's been very few examples of how this has been successful. I will agree with you to a point. But you only have twelve football games, and this isn't it. this isn't the NFL where what do they take twelve? I don't know how many playoff teams. I get you it. Uh, but every win is precious. I understand. Yeah, that. absolutely. So if you come up with a formula that's winning, I, I think you don't worry so much about making sure that Brandon Wimbush is a closer. But I think if Brandon Wimbush is coming up, you know, is playing well enough to have his team in the lead in these situations, I don't think that Brian Kelly's going to panic and all of a sudden throw an Ian Book. What if it's 17-17 in the fourth quarter and in the second half, Brandon Winbush on, on September 1st, Brandon Winbush in the second half hasn't been moving the team and it's 17-17. Ian Book's coming in. There's no doubt about it, especially after this press conference right here, which I guess, like I said, I think what's surprised... Wouldn't you rather see Winbush learn from that situation and maybe kind of step up and, and yeah. win that game? I, I don't know. Perhaps, I, because really you don't have, a, you have such a small sample size with Ian Book. Exactly. That, there aren't any guarantees with him. As At a matter least with of fact, Tommy Reese had a hell of a lot more experience yeah. coming off the bench when he did that for Golson. He he was a starter. He had a lot of reps underneath him. He had a lot of wins underneath him when, he, when they used it. This is different. They both, and when you look at it, ironically, Wimbush, who's, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but uh, his quarterback rating was pretty lousy. I want to say in the 80s, 88, sort of sticks out in my head. It could be wrong, give or take there, but I think it's around there. Ian Book was actually a little bit lower uh, than, than Wimbush. Again, a much smaller sample size, but uh, you, I, you know, you feel like you can win with both, but does it go back to that old that, that standby, hey, if you if you don't have one starting quarterback, or if yeah, you don't if you have any, two starting or, yeah, quarterbacks, you don't have any. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's how uh, it goes. And, yeah. and that whole mentality of bringing in a reliever, I mean, I I'd feel a little bit better. See, it was like I said, it was different with Tommy Reese. I know a lot of people groaned when he came into the Purdue game, and a lot of fans were like, "Oh no, yeah, what are they sure. thinking?" But he did settle things down in a lot of games in that Stanford game, and there were mm-hmm. th- there was times where. But he was a vet. He was a veteran. Ian Book's not that veteran yet. I'm sorry. He's just not. No. And again, I think it's obviously the quarterback's coach, the offensive coordinator, Brian Kelly. They have to kind of fly from the gut on this. What are they seeing that makes them want to try this? And and I've seen it so many times where you know you think you want to yank the starter, you yank the starter, you put in the second stringer, and he's worse than the starter, so the starter get, comes back in, and then that becomes a whole mess. It's it's hard to find a good rhythm to this system, and I, I just I, I don't exactly know why Brian Kelly came out and said this. I don't know if maybe Brandon Wimbush isn't performing as well as what he it's, wanted to in practice. I don't know what prompted this. Right. Obviously, it was a question about. Is Wimbush the starter? Is there any chance we're going to see Ian Book? That was the question that kind of prompted all of this. But at the same time, it just it's it's 
what are we ten or you know less than two weeks from game day here, and, and all of a sudden this is coming out. I, I is think he that, playing any kind of Jim Harbaugh head game yeah, here? That yeah. could be it too. Let me throw another wrinkle in here, so he's got a game plan a little bit for a different style quarterback, and let him worry about that a little bit more than he probably should. Maybe he's doing that. That's that's a theory right there that I had heard. Um, the other thing, but what made me a little bit uncomfortable during that clip is he said, okay. We're going to game plan for, since we know what they can do, we're going to game plan for Brian or uh, Brandon Wimbush to succeed. We're going to put together a game plan. And we're also going to do the same thing for Ian Book. So that threw me off a little bit because when you game plan, don't you game plan for the entire game? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I guess you put certain packages in for different players, but that, that tripped me up a little bit. Uh, here's why I don't think it's a head game because we've seen it before. Yep. We've seen this whole routine before, and it's almost... Almost it, annual. It, it, it is. It's almost like he's got this panic button on the sideline that the minute things need a change or something like that, he hits it, you know? And I, I just... It worries me, uh, especially... Like like you said, it would have been different if he didn't say anything, and Wimbush struggled in the first three quarters, and they're still in the game, and then say, you know what, let me just try to get a change of pace. We know what Ian Book can do. And then explain yourself after the situation. Hey, we just needed something different going for, you know, going towards the next game. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll reevaluate. Now it's almost... It, he just opens himself up to same old Brian Kelly. Well, you know what? I think he would have in either scenario that you just gave. You know, I mean, if, if all of a sudden he said all along and we're not going to be a two-quarterback team, stuck stuck to that throughout training camp and whatnot, and now all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, Ian Book comes in. So I think I think it's yeah. a, it's no, a you know, I, I, I think it. he's damned either way on that I, one. I get it. But how about if you developed a real good starting quarterback? You wouldn't, ha- <laughs> right. you wouldn't have these problems. <laughs> or, that might be see, your first option. He doesn't look at them as his problems. He's trying to look at it as, oh, look at these options I have. And yep. I, I don't know if... You know, I don't know. That's a glass is half full for me. Now, look, if you have five running backs, do you have a running back? Uh, that's the real question here. Who is emerging now, Todd? Who is coming literally out of the backfield? It appears, obviously, Tony Jones Jr., we know that. He's right. going to be the starter. He's going to be the main man, the workhorse back. But I think behind him, we've talked about it a number of times, is the question marks that run behind him because it's all either inexperienced or, you know, Dexter Williams, it hasn't come out yet, but he's not going to play. Um, so... You know, you're you're trying to patchwork a lineup behind him, and I think the two guys that have ro- risen to the top are, jun- or I'm sorry, freshman Jafir Armstrong and uh, Avery Davis, who started as a quarterback here. Both guys are kind of ju- they they cross train. They've kind of been all over the place, uh, but Kelly really likes. He's raved about Armstrong because I guess the guy just he, he's unstoppable at practice. So I'll play the clip. Spoiler alert, I'll just keep my mouth shut. This is Brian Kelly explaining what's going on behind Tony Jones Jr. The, the one thing that we do know about Armstrong is his, his capability to go every snap. I mean, an incredible workload capacity, which he's just, he's just an extraordinary athlete. And, and I think I've brought that up a couple of times, is that he's running at receiver, at running back, in the slot. And he just can go on and on. And, and there just needs, seems to be no breakdown. Uh, on him and because of that puts himself in a very unique situation within our offensive structure so he's going to play and he's going to play a lot. Avery continues to grow and learn Uh, he's not the same player as Jafar because of his size but every time it seems like when we scrimmage he, he definitely is a guy that shows up so I would say that he's a little bit different in the sense that um practice he looks fine but when, when it's time to scrimmage and do those things, he seems to be a, a guy that really excels in that situation. 
I keep calling. I don't. I keep doing. I've been doing this all camp. I keep calling Jafir Armstrong. Trying to combine <laughs> Armstrong with Jameer Smith. Okay, so and and when I called Armstrong, I should have said redshirt freshman. He's not a true freshman, so there's some familiarity with the offense and what he needs to do. But he's obviously risen. It sounds like to the number two spot. We kind of saw it coming. Brian Kelly just said he feels like he can do so much with him. He's been cross training at wide receiver, so we know he can catch the football. And Tony Jones Jr., he's going to be the main man. It just seems like Armstrong's going to give them a little bit more versatility in certain situations. I think this could be a nice weapon for him if this plays out the way it's been sold to us as it's going to. You know, when you talk about Avery Davis, I don't know. Everybody was, you know, the coaches were raving about him and raving about him saying making all these big plays it sounded like he toned that that rhetoric down a little bit in that clip i still think we're going to see some of avery davis but a lot of times when coaches start to cool on you a little bit this time of year i don't know how much we're going to see i think it's probably going to be a two-headed monster uh between armstrong and jones jr i think we're going to see a lot of third down stuff out of uh avery davis a slot receiver kind of thing Uh, and i actually think we're going to see the most big plays come from him if they know how to utilize him well yeah not not a bad point we'll see how all that goes but of course we can't forget about brandon wimbush and what he can do with his legs as well. absolutely absolutely no doubt about it all right as we head into this final week of preparation uh todd uh and we'll talk more about the game obviously to, uh, next week on our because uh, by the way next week we are finally if you're listening to us on the radio at ESPN uh, radio 1380 and 100.9 FM we will team up with Phil Houck and uh, the the big uh, uh, fighting Irish preview uh, it'll be one full hour of fun us on the front end and Phil on the back end so you look forward to that hour of uh, great radio starting at 7 a.m. in the Fort Wayne market everywhere else both podcasts will be up wherever you download podcasts. But Todd, uh, what are we looking for now as we head into this final week of prep from uh, BK? And what more can we learn, I guess, is the question this week that we don't already know? I don't think much. And as a matter of fact, when Brian Kelly was asked exactly what have you seen, what do you think, what do you think is going to happen, he kind of broke it all down. I mean, 10 returning starters on defense, tons of experience there across the board, and some great experienced players. Um an offense that, at least on paper, a lot of unproven guys, but seems to be much more balanced, you would think, if Brandon Wimbush is improved, which everybody's telling me he's going to be. Um, it's not going to be just Josh Adams, Josh Adams, and more Josh Adams. I'm going to mix it up a little bit more, a few more playmakers. And then you mentioned Justin Yoon. I mean, Tyler yeah. Newsom as well has really improved his kicking game. So when you look at the three units across the board, certainly the team seems to be in good shape. And when Brian Kelly was, you know, he's kind of asked, give us a state of the union, coach. Where are we right now? And and it's short and sweet, but uh, he seems pretty cool and calm, at least right now. I have a good sense of, you know, the quarterback position. I've got a pretty good sense of the skill position where we're going to be elevated is the word that I would use across the board. I think that uh, from, from an offensive balance standpoint, uh, I think we'll be much better than last year. There's no doubt. I know that. And then defensively, experience, um, I know that. The one thing about this group is that they, they believe that they're going to be successful. For a lot of programs, that's hard to get to. They believe they're going to win. So I'll take that as, as the overriding uh, number one thing going into the game. We should have lined up the last three 
press conferences before the first game and just see the difference in what he says. I know one thing. We've heard a lot less rhetoric about conditioning this year than we did yeah. last year. You know, So he must be pretty confident in the fact that physically they're going to be ready in the fourth quarter. But more importantly, in November is when they need to show up. <laughs> Indeed, and I'm going to talk about. I I just didn't think we had time. I I actually wrote a segment out here that was fascinating to me. I'll I'll tease it a little bit here. As you mentioned, November, you kind of led me in. I didn't realize that I was talking to my esteemed editor, Lou Samoji, for Blue and Gold Illustrated. I should have noticed it, but I didn't. And you you said early in the show the schedule is very much, especially home, it's very much front loaded. They play four home games in the month of September. That's crazy. Did you realize that through the month of October, the months of October and November, they only have two home games left the right. entire last two months of right. the season? That's some interesting scheduling right there, and I'm going to break it down a little bit more next week. But and it uh, would have been three, obviously, but they moved the one to right to Yankee Stadium. Yeah, that was yeah. the big one, and I, I, yeah, that's kind of what I want to talk about. How they threw Brian Kelly a curveball. He's he's complaining about how he doesn't like the way the team's playing in November. So what do you do? You move a game from South Bend <laughs> to Yankee Stadium right I mean, in the middle we of November. Start backloading games instead of frontloading <laughs> yeah, games. Exactly. Here. Well, obviously they have a lot less control over the back end because of the you know the teams they play every sure. year and they just alternate. So uh, it should be interesting. And one of those teams uh, is the uh, number two most difficult on their uh, schedule. Todd's been ranking all 12 opponents, and we're a week away from obviously number one. So let's talk about the second most difficult game on their schedule. All right, just to add a little bit of drama here, I'll go ahead and count them down here for you. I had Ball State as the number 12 opponent, Vanderbilt number 11, Syracuse number 10, uh, if I could read my writing, Pittsburgh number 9, Navy number eight. <laughs> I should have brought my glasses. Just glad you want me yeah, to hold it. Through? No, I'm okay. <laughs> Navy number eight. <laughs> oh, this is horrible. Wake Forest number seven. Northwestern number six. Stanford number five. Virginia Tech number four. Florida State number three. And I think USC. The game at USC in the season finale on Thanksgiving weekend, November twenty fourth. That gets my bid for the number two toughest game on the schedule. Now, as far as the series is concerned, Notre Dame leads at 47 wins, 37 losses, and five ties. Uh, the two schools have met every year since 1946. Last year was kind of interesting because Notre Dame, um, 13th ranked at the time, they crushed number 11 USC 49 to 14. Ironically, that was the 40th anniversary of the 77 national championship uh, green jersey game, uh, and that's when Notre Dame beat number five USC 49 19. Um, to obviously take another step to that national championship. Last year was the second largest margin of victory in this series for Notre Dame since a 51 nothing whitewashing of the Trojans. Uh, that was in 1966. That was before uh, my time, at least. I don't know about yeah. your time, Todd. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an, another national title season there. Uh, pretty good coach at the time. Um, Brandon Wimbush had a great game against the Trojans. He threw for two touchdowns, a 26 and a 23-yarder. Um, and then that, that was actually on Notre Dame's two, first two possessions. Notre Dame led 28 nothing at halftime. Wimbush actually also rushed for two more scores and 106 yards. And uh, Josh Adams, he had a touchdown runs of 84 and 14 yards, had 191 yards mm-hmm. rushing right there, and three total touchdowns, actually. When it comes to recruiting rankings, I always like to run, in, uh, run these out here. Pretty close. USC is, maybe has a slight edge. Typically anywhere from 7 and better. Uh, Notre Dame is usually be right around that top 10 range. So talent-wise, I think USC probably has a slight advantage uh, for sure. 
Um, it was interesting for me to read. Uh, USC had an interesting year last year. They finished eleven and three, um, and that went along with a ten and three season um, in two thousand sixteen. So now they've won back to back. They've had back to back ten plus winning game winning years, and they hadn't done that since two thousand seven two thousand eight. That surprised wow. me that this team hadn't put together double digit wins in consecutive seasons uh, since back then. Um, you would think the eleven and three from last season would would be maybe a tick better than the ten and three um, from two years ago, but that really wasn't the case. Now USC did win the the um, the, the Pac twelve title, um, and and they they did a nice job there. They but when you go back to when you go back to 2016, they had that 45-27 win over Notre Dame, and then they had the 52-49 win over Penn State in the Rose Bowl. They finished number three in the final poll. Okay, last year they limped a little bit during some some spots. As a matter of fact, they were dominated in the Cotton Bowl last year and were beaten 24-7 uh, by Ohio State. So they finished 12th in the AP poll, despite a bit of a better record. Uh, finished 12th last year. That was one spot behind the Irish um, they were South Division champs, and let's see what they're trying to. They, they again, they're favored to do it again. Going to have to see. They lost some big time weapons here. Sam Darnold, the number three overall pick to your New York Jets. Thank you, uh, Thank you Ronald Jones, the second. He was a second round selection. He rushed for fifteen hundred fifty yards last season. And Don, Deontay Burnett, he was a wonderful wide receiver as well. So probably their top three uh, guys they lost on offense. Uh, but boy, I mean, this is a team that recruits to the top five every year, so you can't worry too much about what's happening. Six starters return on defense, a uh, defense that led the nation in sacks last year with 46. That said, they were 68th in total defense, which, uh, considering all the star power on that defense, they gave up 395.6 yards per game. Um, uh, an absolute destru- uh, destructive veteran linebacker unit that is ranked. By number one, by by uh, Phil Steele, as far as the best linebackers in the country, and that's led by preseason All-American Cameron Smith. We'll have to wait and see how the quarterback situation plays out. Probably J.T. Daniels. He was the Gatorade National High School Player of the Year, but he's just a freshman, so we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Uh, Mike Helton has won 21 games the last two seasons, but they have an interesting schedule dynamic, the Trojans, because they play early, early. Their tough games are early. Um, they actually play Stanford on September 8th, Texas on September 15th. That's weeks two and three. Uh, then again, they host Washington State, a team that upset the Trojans last fall. And then they go to Arizona. So they are they are absolutely front-loaded on their schedule. Um, and, and we're going to know a lot about how this, this, this team is going to shake out. We'll know a lot here in the month of September. Um, it, it, to me, this could have been the number one toughest game. It's a road game. Notre Dame typically doesn't do very well at the L.A. Coliseum. Um, it, 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 we'll call it a house of horrors, I think is a good way to put it. Um, we'll have to wait and see. There's bounce-back games here. As a matter of fact, the way Notre Dame did did USC up last year, a 49-14 win. Uh, the Irish, uh, you know, they were crushed the year before. So it, it kind of goes back and forth. If you it's, beep, been, it's been parity the last 10 years. Yeah, it really it, has it really been. Has. Since so, uh, Pete Carroll left, it's been win to win. In fact, yeah. the last four winners have scored 40 points, and then they've split 2-2. Two two. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's been bounce back for sure. So when one team seems to squash the other one, the other team is ready to go, Rags. And, and uh, that's all I have for USC. It's going to be a heck of a football game and hopefully a very important important football game for the season finale. The most interesting thing is the second hardest on the schedule is the last game and the first hardest 
is coming up, and we'll talk more about it. Uh, week one, uh, yes, Michigan. Uh, so it should be uh, a lot of fun, and I can already feel the buzz in town here for that game. It's a night game. Uh, there, it's a TBD for that Thanksgiving Saturday game for USC, but one would have to assume it's going to be primetime somewhere, at least either here or on the West Coast, depending on, obviously, what it means for both teams. Well, let's hope so, because if it's a noon game, <laughs> <laughs> things but, have gone horribly well, wrong. Well, especially with all the traveling that Notre Dame is going to be doing yeah, right, back and yeah, forth. Right. I don't think they'll do that. I think it's going to be as late as possible <laughs> yeah, for Notre point. Dame on that day. All right, uh, Todd, finally, before we get out of here, you wanted to bring up this uh, indoor facility and the progress it's making. What do we know? Yeah, if you haven't been on campus yet, I didn't think I'd be able to get this in next week. Um, so it, if you come out to the Michigan game or whatever, make sure and get over there and check out this this uh, indoor facility that's going up. They are flying through this thing. It is massive. It is gorgeous. This is one heck of a project here. It's 111, 400, 111,400 square feet. It is huge. It has a ceiling, I believe, of 70 foot. The Part of the problem about practicing indoors in the Loftus Center, first of all, the building's 30 years old. Second of all, you couldn't even practice kicking because yeah. the balls would hit the Especially roof. Especially with the kickers that we have. And I think most importantly is the facility was booked up basically from 5 in the morning till midnight. So it was hard to kind of wedge the football team in here. So this isn't necessarily a luxury for Notre Dame. I think it was very much a necessity. And while sometimes I think these facility upgrades and some of the things they do, I think it's just the football team, you know, being the football team and getting some perks that sure. some of the other places don't. I think this is legit. And Brian Kelly, uh, this is the last clip I'll play here, but Brian Kelly talks about how important it was and how this is coming along. It was something that that I felt that our student-athletes needed. It was something that um, our university um, recognized and our president, President Jenkins, knew that it was something that we needed for our student-athletes. And ultimately, we were able to raise the money necessary with private donations to, uh, to get the job done. You know, when, when we talk about facilities and building facilities, you know, many times they look at it as an arms race in terms of facilities. This was a necessary piece for our student-athletes to um, manage a very hectic schedule that they, they have. Um, we, had, we had an indoor facility that was being really run from 5.30 a.m. to almost midnight with intramurals and sports and made it difficult for our football team to train in there uh, at, a, at an acceptable time. So it was, it was, it was overdue. We're, we're thankful that we were able to get it done. And ironically, Rags, I think part of what precipitated this construction, this project, was that the NCAA passed a rule where you can't get in there anymore at 5 in the morning. You can't drag your players in there. There's a certain time that I believe it's 6 a.m., and by that time the Goog spoken for and Mm -hmm. whatnot, or not the Goog, but I'm sorry, the Loftus Center was spoken for. So I think in a lot of ways, Brian Kelly said, you know, we have to find a time to get these kids to work out and practice. And and so I think that absolutely prompted it as well. Boy, he certainly did stress the student-athlete in that uh, clip there. It's a little less than my football team. He's worried <laughs> right. about those pole vaulters that need the, the room, right, I guess? Uh, but, it, hey, listen, if the football team can help out the rest of the campus, why not? Yeah. They, and, make, it, they it, make the most money, so why not? And, and it'll certainly help, you know, it'll help the other programs as well because now they're going to have all that to themselves and the football team will kind of move. They're actually going to have their own weight room built on this part of this project. I'm just trying to figure out what's the next structure that can possibly go up on campus that that, that the school needs. I mean, it's just ridiculous how much construction they've done. And it looks fantastic. I mean, it's state-of-the-art. I love every bit of it. But I'm, I'm trying, is there, a, is there something that's missing that we don't, you know... 
Then we're not thinking about. Boy, oh boy, maybe a Notre Dame Hall of Fame, perhaps. Ooh, now you're talking. When 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 does we get to induct? That'd be awesome. Yeah, we get be to kinda, decide who gets in. Be kind of cool. Yeah, we should get a vote. Yeah, actually, it'd be kind of cool because you know, I mean, I, I like what they do there in the Joyce Center. Yeah, some sort of go, museum but, would yeah. make sense yeah, there. Yeah, actually, I, think, I said it facetiously, but you came up with a good idea there, Todd. That's what I do. Yeah, I guess. Uh, keep it going because we've got another week before uh, the big game, and that is uh, obviously September first. Remember, next week on air on uh, the radio in Fort Wayne, we will be teamed up with Phil Hoke and uh, Haw- I. Keep, I always say his name wrong. It's Hauk, right? Correct, Phil Hauk. And the Fighting Irish preview. I say it right when I talk to him one on one. I just better. call him Phil. I don't, you know, the judge. All right. So that'll be following <laughs> us next week. But of course, both podcasts will be uh, on their own wherever you download the podcast. Todd, uh, we will do it all over again. This time for real. Yeah. Pleasantries are over. And maybe we'll figure out there's a third quarterback thrown in the mix. Here. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I hope not. All right, Todd, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, man. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.